0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all of the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. you remain standing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you lead us into all truth by the power of your Holy Spirit present with us. Would you be glorified, glorified, and would you glorify yourself in us and through us. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus said something really strange to his disciples. And I wonder if you noticed it in that reading from John's Gospel. Jesus said to them it is to your advantage that I go away Now that sounds like a cheesy breakup line doesn't it but Jesus is serious he's serious how could it possibly be to the disciples advantage for Jesus to go away what could be better than the company of God what could be more powerful than his healing and his teaching Well, Jesus explains. He says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That word helper can also be translated as counselor or advocate. And it's the word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying to his disciples that having the Holy Spirit is better than having him. How can this be? Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to explore Romans chapter 8 together. This is one of the most dense, rich, and powerful passages in the entire Bible, and it happens to be all about the Holy Spirit. My hope is that as we explore this chapter, we will begin to see how and why it actually is true that it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit and that we will come to a deeper understanding of what it means to live life in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we turn to Romans 8, though, we need to step back and to consider where we are in the story of Scripture and in the story of humanity, because Romans 8 only makes sense when, when we go back to the very beginning to understand what we were made for, and what was broken in the fall. So in Genesis 1 and 2, when God created the first man and the first woman in His image, He invited them into a unique relationship with Him. He walked with them, He talked with them. He gave them authority as stewards over, to, over creation to care for it and to nurture it. He invited them to trust and to obey Him as the one who knew what was best for them because He made them. In a tragic act of rebellion, however, Adam and Eve rejected God's invitation to a relationship of trust, dependence, and intimacy. They chose to rely on their own judgment instead. The results were catastrophic. A broken relationship with God. Exile from the garden. The enslaving power of sin in their lives. And ultimately, death. Now, all of these things have been passed on to us. With each generation, we can continue to trust our ways instead of God's ways. Because of this, we're separated from God, enslaved by sin, and live under the dark cloud of death. It was to undo this curse and to restore us to God that Jesus came into the world. In his life, though he was tempted by the devil, he refused to succumb to the power of sin. By dying on the cross, he endured our condemnation offering himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. By his resurrection, he defeated the power of death. Along the way, he modeled perfect obedience, and he showed us how to be human. You could say, you could say that Jesus is the anti-Adam, or the second Adam, and you would be right, because this is precisely how Paul thinks of him. In Romans 5, a few chapters before, what we'll be looking at this morning, Paul compares Adam and Jesus to each other. And he says, If because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The question, though, is how? How do we reign in life through Jesus Christ? How do we enjoy the beginnings of a new creation in a world still marred by sin? Well, the answer that Paul gives us in Romans 8 is by the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. So turn with me to page 944 in those red Bibles so that you can follow along as we explore this incredible passage. You know, in the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul barely mentions the Holy Spirit. In chapter 8, however, the Spirit is mentioned 15 times in the first 17 verses. The whole chapter is devoted to describing the work of the Spirit and the nature of life in the Spirit. This morning I want to highlight two aspects of the Spirit's work, just two aspects. And the first is this, the Holy Spirit ushers us into a life of freedom the Holy Spirit ushers us into a life of freedom So let's take a look at the beginning of the chapter verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit when Jesus died on the cross he offered us forgiveness of our sins he wiped our records clean that's what Paul means when he says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus no longer do guilt and shame define us nor will they ever because not only our past, but our present and future sins are forgiven by Jesus when we ask. But there's more to our problem with sin than this. We misunderstand it when we think of sin only as the bad things that we do. According to Paul, sin is more like a tyrant. Sin is an abusive dictator who captures and enslaves us and forces us into hard labor. We don't just need to be forgiven of our sins, therefore. We need to be rescued from the power that sin has over us, or else we simply go on sinning forever. That work of rescuing, that work of setting free, is the work of the Holy Spirit. When God sends His Spirit to live within us, He sets us free from the enslaving power that sin once had over us, and He rules in our hearts instead. We have a new Lord, no longer an abusive tyrant, but instead a loving Father. And our loving Father, through His Spirit, reshapes our hearts and minds so that we can live in true freedom. So Paul unpacks this a little bit further, beginning in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I sometimes think of sin a bit like the deep ruts you find on a dirt road out in the country. Slip your tires in, hit the gas, and basically you don't have to steer. The ruts guide you, right? That's how sin works. We have patterns of sin that have worn ruts in our heart. All we have to do is hit the gas and off we go, moving right down the road of sinful thought leading to sinful action. And when we come to faith in Jesus, even though we have been set free from the enslaving power of sin, it no longer has control over us, those ruts, they don't disappear overnight. They have to be filled in, packed down, and smoothed over. New paths have to be laid down, and new patterns of behavior have to be established. And we don't have the capacity to do this kind of deep heart work on our own. We need the Spirit of God to fill in the ruts and to lay down new roads. This allows us to live lives of obedience that honor God, what Paul describes as life according to the Spirit as opposed to life according to the flesh. For Paul, this new life in the Spirit is true freedom. It's the freedom of a person who's been released from the slavery of their own sinful heart and enabled to conform their life to the heart and will of the God who made them. That's true freedom. The tragedy of our modern world is that we think of freedom as the opposite of this. We think of freedom as the ability to live according to our own will and our own desires. We believe that humans are independent beings who can choose what is right and best for ourselves. But we're not independent beings. Apart from God, we're slaves to sin. We may think we're creative, autonomous beings pursuing our dreams and living our best life now, but the truth is, under the power of sin, we're driving down a rutted dirt road that ends at the edge of a cliff. The only way out of this native slavery of ours Is by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit whom we receive when we put our trust in Jesus Christ we desperately need true freedom which is not independence but a restored relationship with God we were not created to be autonomous we were created to be relational and dependent co-laborers with God in his perfect world. And that's what's given back to us through the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to the text, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This this chapter, this passage formed a major part of my doctoral dissertation research. Uh, And so every word I look at, I'm like, oh, there's a problem there. That means that. Oh, my goodness. And and then I think about you all, and I think, John, don't go there. You will bore them to tears. There's so much going on here. but, But I want to focus on just one piece of it. And it's this. The Holy Spirit invites us into the life of God here and now this is not just a future thing as we put to death our old sinful ways and we take on the character of Christ we share the life of God and we begin to experience our humanity as it was always meant to be we begin to share the life of the second Adam Christ as we bear the burden of the first Adam's rebellion. Those who have the Holy Spirit are able to exercise wise wise judgment. We're able to understand life as it ought to be lived and to live lives of obedience conformed to the character of Christ. We're able to do all these things, but hear me very clearly. This doesn't mean that we will always resist temptation nor does it mean that God expects us to be perfect. Sin no longer rules over us as an enslaving power, but those well-worn ruts take time to smooth over with new patterns of being. The Spirit sets us free from slavery to sin by giving us a longing to submit to the will of God our Father and the power to do so. That's what true freedom looks like. So the first thing we learn from this chapter is that the Holy Spirit ushers us into a life of freedom. It's the kind of freedom human beings were meant to have from the beginning of creation. That's the first thing. We we need to turn to the second thing now that we see in these verses, which is this. The Holy Spirit invites us into a life of intimacy with God. The Holy Spirit invites us into a life of intimacy with God. So verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now it's hard to wrap our minds around all that this means. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has turned us from rebels into sons and daughters. We aren't just forgiven of our sins, we are brought into an entirely new relationship with God as his adopted children. So think about this in the context of those first chapters of Genesis. So if Jesus is the new Adam, the rebooting of humanity, then we as his adopted siblings are restored to the intimacy that human beings were always meant to enjoy with God the Father. We call on God with the innocence and dependence of a child who's not worried about what dad thinks, but who rests in the peace of his father's love and the security of his power. And that intimacy that we enjoy, it changes us. Paul mentions in verse 17 a theme that he'll return to later in the chapter. This new intimacy, it leads us To actually share in the glory of Jesus. When we were studying this passage uh, as a staff on Tuesday, uh, Matt Damaris told us about a mentor of his who has an adopted daughter. The daughter happens to be black and the rest of the family is white. On a superficial level, she looks nothing like the rest of her adopted family. But as she's grown, Matt has noticed how much she has come to look like her adoptive family. Obviously, her skin tone hasn't changed, but she talks like the rest of them. She makes the same hand gestures and facial expressions. And the resemblance goes deeper. She's growing up with the same passions, the same concerns, the same sense of character and commitments. She's this wonderfully unique young woman who stands out on her own, but she belongs in a profound way to this particular family. This is the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does in us as the Spirit adopts us into the family of God. This is true intimacy that leads to ever-increasing glory. Not only are we granted this familiar family access, as God's children, we are also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, as Paul says in verse 17. This means that we share everything that is His. I remember when our girls were toddlers. Sylvia, our firstborn, had a hard time learning to share. Isabel is 19 months younger. And when she was born, it was like an alien life form had dropped down into Sylvia's domain, constantly vying for scarce resources. Those of you with toddlers at home know what this is like. Now Isabel, the younger, had an even harder time learning to share with her constantly looming, demanding big sister. As they've gotten older, however, they have shared more than toys. They've shared a room, clothes. Countless meals, coffee dates, hopes, fears, secrets. They've shared so much, and they've built such an intimate trust with each other, that on more than one occasion, I have heard them talking to each other in their sleep. That's intimacy, right? Jesus is our elder brother. He's our elder brother who, having paid the price of our redemption, has invited us into the home of God our Father in order to share with us everything that is His, Himself, His relationship with God, and the eternal riches of the Kingdom of God. He's invited us to steward His inheritance alongside Him. This means that the earth and all of creation. It's ours forever with Jesus Christ. As I said, it's hard to get our heads around this. The Holy Spirit ushers us into a life of freedom and invites us into a life of intimacy with God. That's a lot for us to ponder and we've only scratched the surface of this chapter with all that it has to teach us about life and the Spirit. We'll come back over the next two weeks for more. But Just take a step back. Take a, back, a step back to consider the world around us. Because I think it's fair to say that our world is obsessed with freedom and intimacy, right? People are desperate to be free they just don't realize what's holding them back people are longing for intimacy but the only place they can think to look for it is in sex the freedom that we want and the intimacy that we need can only be found through the Holy Spirit who takes up residence within us when we turn to Jesus Christ in faith we have we have the freedom and the intimacy that everyone is looking for so can you begin to see why Jesus said to his disciples it is to your advantage that I go away let's pray Lord Jesus we marvel at the gift of your spirit the helper, the advocate, our counselor, who brings us freedom, restores us to the intimacy with God the Father for which we were created. We marvel, we barely understand. Would our understanding go a little deeper this morning as a result of these words of Paul? And may our experience of life and the spirit expand. May we rejoice in our freedom and in our intimacy, and may our lives be so transformed by your spirit that they reflect your glory in this world. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.